Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's sponsor is Ground News. Now, if there's one thing that we can all agree on, it's that the media landscape is fundamentally broken. Both social media and the press are incentivized to exaggerate our differences and amplify division. A lot of people ask me where they should go for news that they can trust, and I don't usually have a good answer for that. However, Ground News has taken a totally different approach in improving the broken media ecosystem. They're a news comparison platform, giving you the ability to compare how sources with different political biases are covering a certain story so you can easily see if it's being spun to fit a political narrative. You can click on any article and see how balanced the coverage is. The blind spot feature allows you to see stories that are exclusively being covered by either the left or the right. This allows you to identify news that you may otherwise miss in your own bubble. Ground News is an apolitical platform. It's a place for moderates, conservatives, liberals, and the politically homeless. Try it for yourself today by downloading the free Ground News app on the App Store or Google Play Store. Just go on the store and search for Ground News. Highly recommend it. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a bang, click and I bang, y'all gonna remember the name. Y'all gonna remember the name. And we are back. On today's episode, we have got on a trader, a Bitcoin advocate, podcaster, and all-round commentator, and this is the one and only Tone Vase. Welcome to the show. Oh, man, thanks. Uh, you've been doing an awesome job lately. Your tweets have been just blowing up. I love them. They're great. <laughs> Thank you, man. I appreciate it, man. So I know you've got a big following. A lot of people know you, but for those who don't, tell them a little bit about who Tone Vase is. All right. Um, hey, everyone. Uh, if it's your first time uh, seeing me, uh, Welcome. Uh, my name is Tone Vase. I uh, started out in the Wall Street space about 10 years. Uh, prior to that, uh, I studied science, was a teacher for a little while, uh, but then I wanted to make some money. So I went into Wall Street. I was there for about 10 years and uh, discovered Bitcoin around 2013. I mean, I heard about it as far back as 2011, uh, but in 20, like 2011, 2012, I started following that libertarian campaign of Ron Paul. And that led me to watching RT. That led me to learning about Bitcoin. 
and uh, just got really, really interested. And around 2015, I quit that Wall Street job. And I didn't know what I was going to do, but I really enjoyed traveling the world. I started traveling the world kind of late in my life because uh, I grew up uh, as like a, in an immigrant family in the U.S. in the 90s. Uh, so finally started traveling. I'm like, oh, wow, this is great. And I enjoy public speaking. So that's kind of what I've been doing since 2015, traveling, speaking at conferences, educating about Bitcoin and uh, also trading, relying on uh, trading skills to kind of trade myself. Now I'm more educated about trading and organize a couple of conferences uh, because I'm, again, conference speaker. I understood that space. Uh, we have one about Bitcoin in general. We have one more focused on the technology. We have one focused on the finance side. And just going to continue to educate about Bitcoin for a while because the world clearly needs it. Mm. Bitcoin is such an interesting topic because it's massive. I mean, it's got you know over a trillion dollar market cap. I feel like pretty much everybody at this stage, vast majority of people have at least heard of Bitcoin, but at the same time, it still seems like it's super duper early. I don't know what percentage of the population actually has any Bitcoin or really understands it. I'd imagine it's, I'd be shocked if it's even 1%. Um, so what was it that, Nat, what was it that initially drew you into the Bitcoin world? Was it just seeking to make a quick buck or was it deeper than that? No, it was a lot deeper than that. Uh, it wasn't about making a quick buck because I was working Wall Street. I was making a really good salary. It was after I quit that I realized, oh, damn, you know, now that I don't have any money coming in, how am I going to buy Bitcoin? Uh, that, that, was the, that was the issue. Uh, it was actually, uh, ironically, it's the shirt that I'm wearing, um, unconfiscatable. Uh, when I Googled Bitcoin in 2011, I had initially heard about it through two use cases. Uh, one of them was WikiLeaks. Uh, and I thought that use case was awesome, uh, you know, the, a way to give donations to Julian Assange. Otherwise, he wouldn't be able to afford his servers. Uh, but it was uh, long ago. I mean, I, I didn't get into it back then, but I thought that the use case made sense. Uh, the use case of Silk Road uh, never really resonated with me because contrary to what you see in the movies of, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, the Wall Street movies, uh, there's in my area of Wall Street where I was, we were building risk models. I didn't see anyone do drugs, really. So uh, that use case wasn't something that uh, I was interested in. Uh, but in 2013, uh, the Cyprus banks shut down and they confiscated 50% of everyone's money mm. that had over 100,000 euros in the bank. And all of a sudden, I'm like, what do you mean the government can just close the banks and confiscate almost half your money. So if you happen to save the million dollars uh, that you earned honestly, the government got to keep $400,000 of that. Uh, of course, it was in euros uh, because it was in Cyprus. And uh, I couldn't believe that. So I started to consider, well, what can a person do? One option is to buy gold, uh, but now you have to store gold at home. You could also you know, convert everything to physical bills, store it at home, then you have other problems. Even with gold, like, what do you do with it? How do you move it? Uh, how do you spend it? You can't. And uh, the only solution is actually Bitcoin. And what you said earlier, uh, we don't know how many people have Bitcoin. You're assuming it's a small number. Uh, yes, it is a small number. But the best part about that statement was, we don't know. That's <laughs> the point. Uh, the point is that it's not 
the government's job to know how much money you have and uh, how you spend that money. It's your money. It's your property. Uh, so Bitcoin gives that power back to the people. Uh, the unconfiscatability property is key. Uh, I was just uh, at my family. Well, we had Mother's Day uh, this past weekend. It was also Victory Day uh, for definitely for Eastern Europe. I don't know how it is in Western Europe. I know the U.S. doesn't celebrate that. Uh, but that's basically when uh, the Soviet Union uh, basically was victorious against Nazi Germany uh, back in the 40s. And uh, uh, the whole family was talking about it. And we were talking about the process of leaving the Soviet Union, which is where I was born. And we were allowed to leave with about $100 per person when wow. you leave. And um, I didn't even know some of these stories because I was really young. But like they would like go through your bags, they would check everything. They would like ask my mom, well, uh, how much jewelry are you bringing? And like she had on, you know, like a ring a little bit. And then they're like, well, how much other jewelry do you have? So my mom opened it and there was very little, like my parents weren't uh, big on jewelry. And like the lady actually looks at her and goes, what, that's it? That's all you have? And she's like, yeah, that's all we have. And she's like, okay, get out of here. You know, mm. it's like, they just want your money. Uh, nothing has changed. And uh, Bitcoin, uh, that's the big, most important property of Bitcoin, that if you need to leave uh, your country for whatever reason, uh, you can keep the value in your head and you can leave with something that you've earned uh, your entire life. Uh, so that was my main motivator for getting into Bitcoin. Mm, that story you said is, is so interesting. Um, I had my friend Robbie Starbuck on my podcast and either I think it was his was it his parents or his grandparents who originally from Cuba and fleeing Cuba to the USA very similar story they I don't even know if they were allowed to take a hundred dollars I think they just had to drop everything leave everything there and just and just go and I think what's really interesting is for those of us who live in countries like the UK USA Canada etc the concept of the government being able to do that, right? The whole concept of a tyrannical government. People think it's a really, really far-fetched, crazy idea, which I find especially fascinating as someone who lives in the continent of Europe, because you don't need to go back very far to see multiple examples, even in our own lifetime, of tyrannical governments. In fact, over the past year, <laughs> you and I have both both been speaking out about about this. We have literally been living under a totalitarian government here in the UK, right? Just yesterday or today, the government made an announcement in the UK that it is now legal to hug your friends and family. <laughs> yesterday, they, they, right? Like what world are we living in? They made an announcement that you can now hug your friends and family. And I'm just like, wow, this is crazy because we consider these so-called free countries. But over the past year, you know, people can say whatever excuse, oh, there's a virus, there's a pandemic, whatever. But if your rights and your freedoms are based around there not being any pathogens or viruses floating around in the air, then you don't have any. And so I think for certainly for myself and maybe for yourself, I've always I've never totally bought into the sort of freedom and liberty myth that is pushed in these countries. But I think this was just a this was just a nail in it. That was just straight up. OK, well. You know, it's illegal to go on vacation. It's illegal. They made it illegal to see your friends and family. They made it illegal to go to church. They made it illegal to go outside without a specific reason. So 
if I cannot use the word totalitarian there, then I don't know what needs to happen for that word to be um, allowed to be used. So what are your thoughts on all that? Uh, exactly. Uh, it's uh, about my thoughts. Exactly. No, it's absolutely crazy. So uh, a couple of general thoughts. So I've been very critical. Um, I will say the UK has not been as bad as Australia or Canada. Mm-hmm. I think they have taken it to a whole other level. Now, look, there are other countries that, uh, you know, have also been uh, very locked down. But the difference is the reason why I specifically pick on Australia and Canada and a little bit the UK is because those other countries that have like really locked people down, they never claimed that they were free. Mm-hmm. So you don't have that expectation. So this is why uh, places like especially Canada get scrutiny from me because they have this persona of being not tyrannical, yes. but they clearly are. Uh, now, relatively speaking, the U.S. has not been that bad uh, relative to U.K., Australia, and Canada, uh, and especially some states in the U.S., like Florida, you know, pretty quickly said, screw you. And um, I remember I was go. I went to, I literally went to Tanzania and Zanzibar to get away mm. from this nonsense. Uh, this was earlier this year, and I was like, you know what, I, I need to go somewhere where there's actual freedom. Uh, because their president stood up to the whole mask thing and the whole vaccination thing and COVID and even the testing thing. And look what happened to him. He had a heart attack. So, so it's, dark. Uh, so dark. It's, it's really rough, uh, like trying to stand up to this. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist. I mean, we could put this into the bucket of a silly group thing. Uh, but the, the bigger problem with this is, like, you and I don't need the mainstream media to tell us what's going on. And uh, we do use common sense and some independent thinking and resources from all over the place. And we know that this so-called virus is not deadly at all to healthy people mm-hmm. at all. And that's the problem. They uh, treated everyone the same, whether you are 98 years old uh, or whether you're 10 years old and have literally a zero chance of this virus, of you even feeling this virus, they treated everyone the same. And uh, to me, that's that, you know, socialist, communist uh, viewpoints, culture that everyone is equal except for those making the rules. They're not equal. It's like going Mm. back to Animal Farm. Yeah, it's crazy. Were you shocked and surprised by how easily people gave into all of this? Because I know I certainly was. And in those countries you listed, you can also throw in Ireland in there. I mean, Ireland also, I think it's a smaller country. So I mean, I guess, you know, it's maybe about the same size as New Zealand. I'm not sure of the populations, but Ireland went have gone super hardcore as well. I think you can't leave. I think you can't go more than half a mile past where you live. Um, And if you're out and about, then they'll check your papers and stuff like that. And it's really, really interesting how the so-called third world countries and places that are not really considered to have as much liberty or freedom or liberalism as the West actually seem to have protected the most basic rights of their citizens um, the best. And also, ironically, tend to have considerably lower death rates as well, perhaps because there's less obesity and generally younger populations. Yeah, no, that is true. 
So coming from the crypto space, and I'm sure you've seen it lately with uh, people loving things like Dogecoin and all this other nonsense. So uh, how easily people are manipulated. I've been dealing with that my entire career in the crypto space uh, going on, what, six, seven years now. Uh, what disappoints me the most is the people enforcing this. Mm. Uh, that's the biggest disappointment. Like, do they not also look at social media and look at the comparison of papers, please, and the pictures from before? And, um, you know, I get, uh, uh, when I try, the way I compare this uh, to like Nazi Germany days, like this is how these things start. It's division. Mm -hmm. It's identifying people by division. It was some country, I don't know, I haven't checked the facts on this, but I think it was... Uh, on Hungary or something, where they're literally saying that there will be two sections for everything in the country, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how factual that is. We'll see. Uh, but again, it's division. It's separating. These people are disease spreading, uh, you know, bad people. And these people are the good people because mm -hmm. they obey and listen to us. And uh, these people, we're going to identify these people. They're going to be, you have to wear a bracelet if you're vaccinated. So now what do you do? Uh, do, you, uh, do you wear a fake bracelet? Like, like, what do you do? What happens when they find out? When I was flying back to the U.S., check this out. So I was in Dubai for like 40 days. I just maxed out my uh, stay without going back because I hate those COVID tests, man, which, is, uh, which are absolutely horrible. Yeah. But when I was flying back to the U.S., I think I was flying back from Turkey, but it doesn't matter. Um, you obviously have to go and take a test before you fly back to the U.S., but you also have to sign this piece of paper saying that you have taken the test and the test you provided them at the airport is the test you've taken. And if you are lying, uh, they can actually imprison you. Mm -hmm. I had to yep. sign that paper. I actually had to sign it twice yep. uh, because I had a connector. So that's what they're making you do. It's like... Sign this paper. You have to sign it. Otherwise, you can't get on a plane. And then if we find out that the COVID paper is uh, not legit, uh, you can go to prison. Yeah, it's deep, man. Honestly, I mean, it's interesting because you said the people you're most disappointed in are the people who are enforcing it. I'm most disappointed in the general populace, right? I'm shocked by how easily, easily... British people, a large segment of Americans, Canadians, um, Irish people, etc., just took this lying down. I mean, in the USA, at least in certain states, there was much more, and there still is much more of a fight. But in the UK, it feels like 90% of people just rolled over and were just like, okay. Um, and then out of them, maybe 50% were became the enforcers, right? Became the people who are going around in the real world and on and online as well, you know, yelling at complete strangers, asking them invasive questions, telling them what to do, making demands, enforcing that they telling them to inject stuff into their body, telling them what to wear, all this kind of stuff. I mean, it's just so strange to me how quickly it happened. If we just go back to January 2020, I mean, sure, the world had already been becoming a little bit weird in certain ways. But I think if you just went back to January 2020, and you told people, what things would be like at this point in all these different countries, right? They would think that you are 
crazy. They'd say, no, people would never do that. People won't accept that. No, they can't make it illegal to go on vacation. They can't make it illegal to hug your family members. Don't be crazy. Don't be a conspiracy theorist, etc. And it seems like those of us who were trying to ring the alarm on this and draw these comparisons and uh, compare draw, draw these parallels to what's happened in history, right? We're the ones labeled conspiracy theorists, labeled the crazy people, etc. And then six months later or three months later, everything we're saying is going to happen transpires yeah. and people just shift the goalposts again and say, oh, well, you know, actually, you know, maybe vaccine passports are a good idea. Maybe mandatory vaccines are a good idea. Maybe, you know, the government really they're just trying to protect us, etc. In the UK yesterday, there were zero. Sorry, in England, zero COVID related deaths. Zero. Right. And still, there are still restrictions, right? And we already know the numbers are inflated because in the UK, what counts as a death is a death for any cause within 28 days of a positive test. So that's the same as in the US too. Uh, okay. it, was, it was the same. It was the same yeah. everywhere, which, which again, you point out these facts and people just don't even listen. Uh, I mean, I knew that. That's yeah. not hard to verify. It's on the government websites. Uh, it's, uh, They're not I, hiding I knew that it. way back then. And, uh, but yeah, God forbid you mentioned the COVID passport a year ago, people would have laughed you out of the room. And now those are the people that were laughing are the ones pushing it. Yes. And it was actually a flip. Like I, I remember, so I flew to South Africa from the US on March 1st of 2020. That's how much, uh, you know, and this thing was already like breaking out. And that's how much I felt like, no, there's no way they're going to like do this. And uh, I was supposed to be in Africa for like a month and a half, but I flew back on the last commercial flight uh, on March 20th. And when I got back, I actually took this seriously. I was, uh, uh, I was walking around in a mask, like, you know, because nobody knew what was going on back then. Like, like, this could be bad. But then after like a month, you realize, okay, if you're healthy, this is not a problem. If you start feeling symptoms, Maybe don't go see your parents. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe do some shopping for your parents. You know, leave them at home. Uh, like there's obvious things you can do. So the people like myself who were one of the first people to wear a mask once I got back to the U.S., uh, we were also the first to like say, stop. Okay, now we have enough information. This is ridiculous. But there's clearly bigger agendas. Uh, and uh, uh, the other part on that is, uh, so now I am, of course, trying to, educate everyone not to take this mRNA, what they're calling a vaccine. And then whenever someone calls me an anti-vaxxer, I'm like, on January 2020, I took four vaccines. Yeah. Like, I'm the last person <laughs> to call an anti-vaxxer. Like, yeah. I literally had four vaccines done in January 2020. Uh, and, uh, and now I'm like, well, now in hindsight, I probably wouldn't have done those because now I know so much more. Uh, and even like some of the ones that, one of the ones that I took, could have uh, had some damage, uh, apparently. Uh, and they're uh, proven over the last like 40, 50 years <laughs> to work. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but yeah, this, this is insane. And so many people are like taking, taking that vaccine. Just, this is their reason. I just want everything to go back to normal. Yep. That's crazy. And by definition, that doesn't make sense because if you no. need to take an injection or you need to take a medicine or you need to do that certain thing for you to go back to normal, then by definition, that is not normal, right? And you're right that so many people are just being pressured and bullied into it. That's the thing I have a massive pro problem with is the, the shaming and the coercion, right? 
Everyone has a, all I've been saying from the very beginning is look, everyone has a different situation, a different risk profile, both for the virus itself, but also for any potential treatment or prevention measure. So look, human beings are naturally self-preserving. I care about myself more than any government does. I care about my parents, my siblings, my family, my friends, my general community more than the government does. That's the same for everybody, right? The government doesn't care about anyone's parents more than they do. So given all that knowledge, people can make their own decisions, right? People are not out there trying to get sick or trying to make other people sick, right? That, that's never been a thing throughout my lifetime, right? Like that's not a thing. And we've all generally accepted that. We've always uh, done risk analysis and assumed it every day. Every time you get in your car, you get on a plane, you just go outside and walk down the street, you live in a city, whatever you do, you're always taking risk, let alone people's lifestyle habits, food, drinking, uh, people who do drugs, etc. People are always taking, doing this risk analysis. And so it's just blown my mind how in less than one year, just in a matter of months, all of that common sense just went out the window. And it seems like there's a tiny percentage of us who are sort of vaccinated against the herd stupidity, right? <laughs> Where we won't just go along with the masses and then we become the villains. We become the right. bad guys because we're just saying like, wait, hang on, hang on. Like society is running off a cliff. Um, like, firstly, I'm not going to join you. But secondly, hey, there's there's a cliff there and there's spikes at the bottom and you don't have to do this. Like this isn't something that has to be done. And it, it's so fascinating to me, man. I mean, the. In terms of science, the the psychology behind this whole thing, I think is far more interesting than the um, epidemiology. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, oh, and you also mentioned how, at least in the U.S., they were fighting back. I don't know, like no one was in the streets over this stuff. But mm. in the middle of it, the George Floyd uh, protests and uh, riots were happening during that time. Everyone got up for that, uh, but no one really got up and hit the streets for this. I know there were some protests in Germany. Uh, they didn't, I guess, get very far. Uh, but like the George Floyd uh, protests, they made it to the UK. And I was like a little surprised. Like, oh, really? This is uh, well, I, like I, I, they, they got up for that in the UK, but not for their freedom on uh, vaccines uh, and like the lockdowns. I mean, that that was really disappointing. I don't know what you thought of the people in your country. Uh you know, having protests for George Floyd in the UK, but not for this. Man, um, I thought a lot. <laughs> I, I thought a lot. Um, man, I don't even know where to begin. And the fact that many people in the medical community supported and endorsed those protests and riots, uh, you know, thousands of them signed this paper saying that they support the BLM protests and that racism is a bigger, what did they say? Racism is a bigger pandemic than the corona and stuff like that just blows my mind. I mean, I thought that I know that woke up some people. I know that woke up some people, but I would have thought at that point, everybody would have seen that last summer and been like, okay, they're, they're taking us for a ride, right? They're saying that uh, lock anti-lockdown protests are going to spread the virus. Trump rallies are going to spread the virus. All these other things are going to spread the virus. But now you can have tens, hundreds of thousands of people out there on the street yelling, standing right next to each other prior to there even being a vaccine, by the way. Um, and that's fine. In fact, they came out with news articles saying that the BLM protests reduced the spread of the virus. 
right? They're and- just make, they're just making it up <laughs> to fit their agenda. By the way, speaking of uh, Trump rallies, I was there on the sixth at the uh, well near the Capitol. I mean, no, I was, I was but I was there. There were millions of people, and when yeah. we were there, there was millions of people. Obviously, your cell phones aren't working because when you have that many people in in one area, there's just not enough bandwidth. Uh, for you to use your cell. It's just, you know, they just can't handle it. And then we're hearing only like CNN is like, oh, there's only five to 10,000 people uh, at those Trump rallies, you know, on, on January 6th. I'm like, they're saying five to 10,000? There's at least one to two million here. Mm. I mean, they were just lying on so many levels. And, uh, but yeah, but I was there. I was actually recording and live streaming uh, the breaking of the barriers. I was staying oh, wow. on, on on the uh, on the safe zone, uh, like not on the lawn of the Capitol nor inside the Capitol, uh, but I was uh, filming it and streaming it to my YouTube channel. Uh, so yeah, so yeah, there were millions of people there. Um, I didn't get sick. No one I know got sick. Uh, but hey, they're still using this thing to. I don't know. I. I don't know. We should switch topics back to Bitcoin. This is just <laughs> Bitcoin could actually help people, you know, get out of this mentality. Okay, can you explain that? Sure. So, um, one of the things that one of the biggest things that Bitcoin does is make you more independent, and you start doing more independent thinking. Uh, again, a lot of the problems that we have in this world is because the government has control over our money. Uh, right now, going back, I guess we're switching topics back to politics. I don't get to talk politics very often. You know, so That's fine, great. man. Go ahead. It's real uh, talk. My, my, my audience, I like lose subscribers whenever I talk about this stuff because people come to my channel for the, fi- for the finance stuff. You know? yeah. But uh, so uh, what's happening right now, right? So the government basically destroyed economics and destroyed businesses by telling people you don't have to work. So they're just paying people not to work. So if you have a business and I have friends that have like small businesses, that are trying to open, but why would they open if the government is still paying people unemployment and they can make more money by sitting at home and doing nothing, basically destroying the small businesses. And uh, uh, Bitcoin gives that power back because eventually, eventually, the government will no longer be able to print money. And all of this dependence on the government is going to end very, very badly. And uh, the earlier you get into Bitcoin, the earlier you start to understand that the government is just printing money and inflating money away and having full control of your money. So separating the government from the control of money could significantly reduce uh, the control that the government has over the population. And uh, that is my ultimate goal for Bitcoin. This is why I continue to try to educate about Bitcoin and only about Bitcoin and not these other competing cryptocurrencies. Because to me, all of these competing cryptocurrencies is like another government printing their own money uh, that are in control. But Bitcoin is the only one that is decentralized, that no one controls. And the more people stick to Bitcoin and believe in Bitcoin, the more power they take away from these governments. And if uh, people that are enforcing this tyranny uh, on you know, forcing you to wear a mask and can't let you go outside. They're doing it because they're being paid from the government, and that money is valuable to them to feed their family. Uh, but if you remove the value of that money by buying into something like Bitcoin, you greatly reduce the government's ability 
to, you know, pay their way to lock you down. Mm. Why are people so resistant to the idea? Um, It seems like one thing that's really, really hit me over the past year and a half is that, like I was saying earlier about freedom being a little bit of a myth, it's not just that, but I think in the West, certainly in Anglosphere countries, it's assumed that these are liberty and freedom oriented societies because that's how they've always presented themselves and that, you know, liberty and freedom are kind of top values and top priorities. And I think the truth is that there are absolutely people like that, but it's not the majority. It's not the majority. Um, Even when it comes to something like Bitcoin, what's really interesting is I think certainly in my case, when I first came across Bitcoin and looked into it, I was sold on it so quickly. It didn't need that much explanation. As someone who's naturally more libertarian-leaning, has a decent understanding of economics, and who has a natural skepticism, shall we say, of governments and giant institutions in general, I was sold on it really quickly. As soon as I understood it, I was like, okay, cool. This is decentralized, uh, distributed, limited supply. I was like, oh, wow. Okay, this... This totally makes sense. But those same factors are the same things that p- seem to put the majority of people off of Bitcoin, right? They're saying, oh, well, it's not, it's not backed by any government, right? It's, uh, it's, 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 not, it's not centralized. It's, uh, it's this, it's that. And it's really fascinating how you kind of get these two sorts of people who, for one, that's like a, an amazing selling point in USP, um, whereas for others, it's like, they they want that governmental control. They want to be told what to do. They don't want anything that's outside of the the system that they've been sold on and, dare I say, indoctrinated into. So in all your years of advocacy and doing what you do, how have you found it's effective to get that message across to people? Yeah, so it's interesting that that is um, your view on other people and my view uh, that's not the biggest issue. I don't usually uh, run into people and trying to explain this to those that worship uh, government, uh, you know, assurances. So in in my circles, or at least in my experiences, most of the time people are just, uh, they're still scared to believe that Bitcoin is here to stay. I okay. think a lot of people more believe that if the government wanted to shut it down, they can't. Mm-hmm. And the challenge is explaining to them that even if the government wanted to shut it down, they can't. Now, it could be challenging. Uh, so the simplest way to explain that is, look, the government can ban marijuana all they want, but you can't stop a plant from growing. Uh, even the government can't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those that want to do it. So there are certain things that can't be stopped. And the more they fight it, the more money they're just going to waste until eventually, uh, you know, just like uh, – Marijuana is being legalized everywhere in the West uh, right now. I mean, eventually the world will realize it can't be policed. Um, and I don't even smoke, but it's again, it's a freedom issue. It doesn't matter sure. whether uh, you smoke or not. Uh, it's the, the, the gun issue is another similar thing. Uh, you can be for it and you don't have to own one. Uh, so it, uh, it depends. So uh, that's the biggest challenge. And it's a similar challenge to... Uh, I guess the mid to late 90s when, say, Amazon first came out and I was in my university, I kind of aging myself here. And uh, I remember like the first kid in my dorm that ordered 
his books from Amazon instead of going to the bookstore. And uh, at that time, like, like that, that was a foreign concept. Well, today it's the only place anyone gets books. So it's um, also uh, like e trusting email, trusting online banking. So it's just a matter of trust. And Bitcoin is on that edge. You know, it's now been around for about 10 years. Uh, like, I don't even think there was online banking in the mid-90s. But by mid-2000s, we were all using it. So it's that 10-year... Uh, it's a 10-year curve when people are saying, okay, this thing is finally not going anywhere. But the difference between the internet uh, and Bitcoin is that when you realize the internet isn't going anywhere, it costs you nothing to get on it. Uh, this one is a little bit different. So the moment someone realizes that, okay, Bitcoin isn't going anywhere, it's here to stay, but now it's too expensive because it's got mm -hmm. up and uh, so, so you have two challenges. You have this... Um, like confidence technological barrier. And once that's broken, now it takes another year or two to say, okay, this thing is just going to keep going up. I just have to get in. Mm -hmm. uh, so that adds a couple of more years to a person's uh, confidence to get in. What do you say to people who compare Bitcoin and its price appreciation to any type of bubble, whether it's uh, tulips or some people will say it's a Ponzi scheme so on and so forth. There are people both low level and, you know, very successful high level people who make these comparisons. So what's your response to that? Yeah. So my best response to that is to try and find something in history that initially started out worthless and potentially costing you money. Because when Bitcoin first came about, uh, only like the true computer scientists really like found it interesting. But Bitcoin had a negative value. Because Bitcoins themselves in the first year, at least the first year, were worthless. But you have to, you know, spend your computer power. You have to spend electricity, uh, probably uh, put uh, massive pressure on your hard drive, on your CPU chip to mine it. So technically acquiring Bitcoin was, uh, was, was costing you money. Mm -hmm. And I, my best analogy for that is oil. So when you bought a piece of land... In the late 1800s, you know, you start digging into your land to build your house and a bunch of black goo came out, your land's pretty much destroyed. But another few decades go by and suddenly, oh my God, this thing went from having a negative value to exponential value, right? Um, and obviously oil is still valuable today. It's not as valuable today uh, because... We have better ways to get the oil. Uh, I remember like when I was younger, because I was studying geology. So that was my uh, first degree. And um, so I took chemistry and biology. So I have a little bit of a science background. Uh, so whenever people say, well, Tone, listen to the science. I'm like, yeah, that was my, that's what I was. Yeah. That's my <laughs> uh, no, it's, uh, it's, and sometimes I speak at conferences. I was, uh, so I speak about like Bitcoin and crypto at many different conferences. And then I end up at like a, uh, at a conference that basically mostly talks about climate change. And I'm like, well, I know I'm here to talk about Bitcoin, but I technically have a geology degree. And uh, I try not to go too far and call them all of them crazy. But uh, but yeah, but you know, there's like the whole, uh, once this COVID stuff is over, they're going to get us on climate change stuff. Like, yep. you know, you know, yep. that's coming. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> talk about that all day too. But anyway, let me get back to this one. So, um, in this case, like oil continued to be more and more valuable as it became more and more useful to the world. 
uh, with cars and then uh, planes. And then obviously all of a sudden you have ships, uh, though, though they use different kind of power. But again, it's energy. Uh, so Bitcoin is the same way. Uh, it's not a Ponzi scheme because Bitcoin is really, really useful. And just because you don't have the need for that use doesn't mean that the rest of the world doesn't. Mm -hmm. You know, just because it's not stopping you, uh, just because oil isn't stopping you from riding a horse, it's not a bubble because it all of a sudden people are finding more and more use for that uh, new this substance. It's not that the substance was discovered new, it's just the use cases for it were discovered. And Bitcoin has, uh, again, its greatest use case to me is this unconfiscatability. Because prior to Bitcoin, we humans have never owned anything that could not be confiscated away from us by a government, by someone with a bigger gun. They could confiscate anything. They could confiscate your land. They could confiscate the money in your bank account. Uh, they can take anything from you. But if you properly protect your Bitcoin, they can't. That's its number one feature. Its second best feature is the ability to transfer it to anyone in the world without a middleman. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, that's its second best feature. Uh, and now, as you mentioned earlier, it has a finite supply. Now, that one was really arbitrary. Uh, Satoshi, who created it, decided to make it have a finite supply. Now, that part is debatable uh, based on economics. Okay. So um, do I like the fact that it has a finite supply? Yes. Um, is it a little, you know, scary that it has a finite supply? Also, yes, because my second degree is in financial engineering. So I did take my economics courses in graduate school and all this other stuff. And you grow up on the fact that, well, you can't have, you know, capped finite money. It has to be uh, dynamic, has to grow with the economy. So uh, that whatever Satoshi would have decided uh, that's what would have stayed. And I think Bitcoin still would have succeeded if it had uh, a finite supply. I think it would have succeeded. Uh, I'm sorry, if it didn't have a finite supply, okay, it still gotcha. succeeded because the other two properties. But, mm. but he also realized that by having a finite supply, its value would go up faster. And the rise in value is what drives more people into Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And that's also really, really important. So... Uh, the world adjusted to what he initially created. A lot of the early bugs were fixed. And here we are. And uh, as people discovered the need for these properties, more and more people are going to get into Bitcoin. Uh, this time around, we're watching corporations get in. Mm -hmm. uh, MicroStrategies was the first. No one's heard of MicroStrategies until all of a sudden they bought all this Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, Tesla, at least we've heard of. Uh, so they're also interested. And if Tesla's buying... You know, everyone else is going to be buying because they're the leader. You know, like Elon Musk is uh, the new Bill Gates. Hopefully he won't turn into the current Bill Gates uh, later on in his life. But uh, that's basically uh, what's happening right now. And uh, yeah, I think it's great. I think it's great. Now, the next time around, some governments are going to start to get in. Uh, now, we'll see if these are uh, governments that lock people down or these are governments that want to uh, be free of other governments that are locking them down. So we don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, so which will be the first governments to start acquiring Bitcoin? Uh, we already, it's obvious that Iran is already doing it because they've been shut off from the global financial system. 
Uh, Venezuela is kind of doing it because their government is taking away the miners from people and trying to mine it themselves. Mm. So you already have these countries that uh, are getting into Bitcoin. We'll see what happens with the Western governments. I think some of the uh, smaller countries that have been under control of bigger countries, they may be interested because if you're a little island, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know about Cuba, but uh, I mean, if you if you do have a small nation that is, you know, completely beholden to another nation, and some president wants to get out of that, uh, like what happened in Panama, and the president that wanted to give the Panama Canal back to the people, you know, sometimes the right leader does get elected, and they want to be free. They want their people to be free of the control of other governments. Bitcoin is their way. So in our lifetime, we've seen a lot of interesting technological adoption curves. Um, going back, I mean, video games, home computers, the internet, basic mobile phones, social media, and all the different platforms within smartphones. That's one thing that I find so exciting about Bitcoin, right? Because I've seen, I mean, I'm, I'm 34, but in, in that 34 years, I've seen a lot of these adoption curves happen. And I do remember, I, I literally remember when people thought, the the internet in general was kind of silly and pointless. I remember when people thought Amazon was silly and pointless. I remember when people thought having a having a mobile phone. I remember when my my sister was the first person in my family to get one, and people didn't really understand like why do you need why do you need a mobile phone? Right? She, she's no, older. And, I'm just curious. She's older, right? A few years. Uh, yeah, four years older than me. Okay. Yeah. Um, she's not. She's not my oldest sibling, but she was just the first person to to get right, one. Right. 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 And so I remember all of this. I've been on Facebook since I was one of the first people on Facebook. I, I joined Facebook in 2004, right? And I remember at that time people saying, what's the point of this thing, right? Like nobody's on it, nobody's using it, et cetera, because these all have a network effect. And the more yeah. people who use them, the more value it gets. So what actually gives me confidence with Bitcoin is people talk about it in the same way they talked about all of these other things. And it just makes me go, okay, I've heard this story before. I've heard this story before. It's pointless. It's a little bit slow. Uh, nobody, Nobody's using it. You can't do anything with it, et cetera. None of which are actually really true. It's just that people are naive. Um, and so that actually gives me more confidence when I hear all of that because I'm like, okay, give this another five years, 10 years, 15 years, and... I'm looking at my young nieces and nephews thinking, all right, in the future. I mean, it's dope. They already know about Bitcoin because their uncle talks about it. Um, <laughs> and so I think with that, especially with the younger generations, because you get these generational shifts. And I think that I think future generations are going to be using Bitcoin and perhaps other cryptocurrencies, which we can talk about. Um, I think they'll just be using them on a daily basis. Like we use the Internet and social media, et cetera. And we don't even really think about it. It's just like. It's just the way, it's just how things are. It's what we do. There's nothing crazy about it. So I think, yeah, it'll take time, but I think it'll eventually reach that sort of stage. So what do you think is the, where do you see the future of Bitcoin going? Exactly there. Now, mm -hmm. uh, as you said, uh, the internet had uh, a nice smooth adoption curve. Now for cell phones, this is interesting. So cell phones had a single event that boosted adoption. So sometimes this curve is smooth, and sometimes there's an event that just immediately sends a ton of people 
uh, to buy a cell phone. And uh, that event in the U.S. was actually 9-11. The amount of cell phone usage after 9-11 was insane. It quickly, everyone quickly ran out and bought a cell phone. Mm, I didn't know that. Uh, Prior to that, people were still, you know, maybe I need one. I don't really need one. Uh, But that event changed everything. Mm. So with Bitcoin, it's being adopted slowly. More and more people are getting in. But I'm still waiting for that potential event. Like, obviously, I don't want a 9-11 event. That was bad. People died. Uh, But uh, one of these events is coming. And I used to talk about uh, two of these potential events. One of them was the breakup of the European common currency, something Mm. I've been talking about for four or five years. Um, Also, some slack that I got. I was actually in support of the Brexit vote. Uh, Again, I don't think the UK government should be under the thumb of the European unelected officials. So, uh, but there was a lot of pushback from people in the UK that, no, 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 we should stay uh, and have our laws be created by European Union. So I, I couldn't understand that. But uh, so for me, that catalyst event, I was expecting that to be the breakup of the European common currency, especially what I saw in 2015 with the Greek banking shutdown. And then I have no idea how Italy is still part of Europe with their banking. So the, there's, there's a lot there. But it seems to be going strong now. Uh, Well, we're going to talk about the U.S. in a minute. So that was going to be my great catalyst because imagine the fear in people, uh, in people's like financials, if they're suspecting that the common currency is going to break up and now they have to go back to their own currencies. Mm. Uh, So some countries will be fine, like Germany, maybe after COVID, who knows. Uh, But countries, if you're in Greece or in Italy, of course, you're going to go and turn in those euros into Bitcoin or something else, right? Because mm-hmm. you're going to wait and see how your currency actually develops. So that was going to be uh, my big catalyst to just send Bitcoin to a million dollars virtually in a few weeks, something mm-hmm. like that, because there's not that much Bitcoin to go around. Uh, another potential catalyst for me was basically the elimination of cash, which is also coming, right? You're always hearing about the central bank digital currencies which is something that we talk about on my channel all the time, where we always said, well, the central bank digital currency is just the elimination of cash. Just eliminate paper bills. Why waste the money and resources creating a whole new currency? You already have a digital currency. Mm. It's only 98% digital and 2% physical cash. You can just eliminate the physical cash. You make an announcement saying that if you have physical cash, you have one year to walk into your local bank Uh, Give it to the local bank and they will credit you that amount in your digital account. Uh, And that's it. Uh, But hey, they want to create a new currency. Fine. Waste the resources. Uh, So that's a huge catalyst to drive people into Bitcoin once again. And um, as of the 2020 election, which we may or may not get into, but uh, as of that day, uh, I basically lost a lot of respect for America and its political process. So... Uh, One of the things that made the U.S. dollar the world reserve currency and the most stable currency in the world is basically the trust of all the people around the world, Americans, non-Americans, other governments, that, hey, these guys have one of the most transparent, one of the most, uh, like, uh, uh, a rule of law. Uh, We have these things that give the world confidence that we're not going to screw up the dollar. But this whole election, and I'm not even going to pick a side here. I'm just going (laughs) to pick 
clown show that took place uh, the day of the election and for months on after the election, basically to me told the world that, nope, U.S. does not have the control on its rule of law. Mm. And uh, and that's it. And now I think that the world is going to lose confidence in the U.S. dollar. So if we were having this podcast a year ago, I was always laughing at the gloom and doomers talking about how the U.S. dollar is going to hyperinflate and the U.S. dollar is going to collapse. And I would laugh at that saying, for what? Like what other, like, what other currency do you trust? The dollar isn't going anywhere. Mm. I've totally flipped on that. After what happened in this election, I'm like, oh, okay, now I see it. Mm-hmm. Now I see it. Now that uh, if the world doesn't respect the U.S. dollar anymore, there goes the U.S. dollar. And if the U.S. dollar goes, again, it's a big free-for-all. That Bitcoin greatly benefits because people could potentially trust Bitcoin more than any other country's money. And Bitcoin just needs a few more years. People need to get used to using Lightning for small transactions. Uh, And that's it. My only concern is that people aren't using Bitcoin properly and and taking responsibility for their own Bitcoin. Now, this is dangerous because if you forget your password, you could lose all of your money. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, if some bank is holding your Bitcoin for you, you're not changing the system. You're just trying to get rich. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. How much value do you think there is? So obviously, when we talk about Bitcoin, people still, it's still priced in dollars, right? Or in pounds or in euros, etc. Are you someone who thinks that that is particularly valuable? Or are do you think that people who are into Bitcoin, if they really want this to work long term, need to kind of just be thinking in Bitcoin terminology rather than saying, oh, you know, Bitcoin is $50,000 or $60,000 or this or that. Um, at the same time, I know, you all, of course, you're a, you're a trader as well. So where do you stand on that? Because I've heard some people say, look, a bit, one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin, um, one Satoshi is one Satoshi. So let's stop comparing to dollars and fiat currency all the time. Um, and then other people think, no, you know, it should be compared to that, even if it's just to keep score. I don't know. What do you think? Look, it's cool to say that, but in reality, you have to price it in dollars because, and the reason you price it in dollars is because it's still the most stable, the most trusted currency. So I always price Bitcoin in dollars. I never priced it in Chinese yuan, even though that at a time that had more of a trading volume, but I never believed that it was real. Like that's the thing. Uh, Back in 2016, 17, when I was doing these charts, people kept asking me, Tone, why are you pricing Bitcoin in dollars, all the volume is happening in China. Mm. And my answer was, I don't believe their value, their volume numbers. Like, I don't believe it. I don't trust that government. Like, I still trust the U.S. government more than the Chinese government. I'm sorry. Uh, So as long as that's happening, uh, but what else do you price it in? Uh, One Bitcoin would would have to be millions of dollars. And then we can start talking about the lowest unit of Bitcoin being a Satoshi. And then, you know, it will be a very tough time maybe a year or two before Bitcoin can be unit of account after the U.S. dollar collapses. So we are probably a decade away from Bitcoin being a unit of account. And then hopefully everything would start to get priced in Satoshis, which is also going to be a little bit challenging because Bitcoin has a limited supply. It has a finite supply. So things will have to start being lower in price. It's going to be weird. Like right now we have inflation where things are going up in price, but in the future... Things are going to go down in price Mm. where 
you buy uh, you know you buy a car in 2028 and that car is you know 10,000 satoshis you go to buy the same exact new car a year later <laughs> new model it's now going to cost you 9,000 satoshis right because yeah. the goal uh, the goal is to increase the number of satoshis you have every year while you are earning fiat income your goal is to increase the number of satoshis so if you don't need to spend your bitcoin don't spend it accumulate as much as you can because eventually you're not going to have that fiat money coming in and now you're going to have to start spending it and as you spend it the value you retain hopefully will buy you more things and uh the world has never lived under a uh, no one alive has ever lived under a deflationary currency uh but it's going to be interesting uh, the world is definitely going to change. Could take a generation to get used to it uh, until, I don't know, something changes. But Bitcoin just isn't going anywhere. It's that it's not even it, it's better than a network effect. Like what you said with Facebook. Uh, I was one of the first people on Facebook. Also, we still needed an EDU account when I joined. Yep. Uh, and we were all on MySpace back then, right before mm -hmm. that. And we switched. So people think, oh, it's so easy. Uh, you can just switch from uh, MySpace to Facebook so you could switch from Bitcoin to something else. No, it's not the same. Uh, it's not like switching browsers uh, mm -hmm. from Chrome to uh, whatever, Firefox. No, no, that has no financial cost to you. It's not like switching from MySpace to Facebook. Uh, switching from Bitcoin to something else has the potential of wiping out all of your savings. So, no, that's uh, not going to happen. Uh, so Bitcoin that. isn't going anywhere. Uh, we just need the smartest eyes looking at the code uh, to make sure that it remains stable. And Bitcoin has remained stable. Like Bitcoin transactions always go through. They're not always cheap. They're not always fast. They're not always private. Uh, Bitcoin will be better at all those things. Uh, but instead of fighting those things by creating a competing government-style currency, people should be trying to help uh, make Bitcoin more secure, more private, uh, faster, cheaper. Uh, that's what more people should be doing. So I am disappointed in my own industry that everyone is just trying to create their own monopoly money and getting other people to buy it versus trying to actually change the world. Mm. That's an interesting point. So do you not think that any of the other cryptocurrencies um, and blockchains have real world application and value? Or, I mean, I, I'm in the position that, look, I think, I don't know how many coins and projects are out there. I'm, I'm in the, the opinion that, you know, 95% are cool. You know, if someone just wants to play play, play a slot machine and, and gamble and get in, get out, you know, multiply their money, I totally understand that. And I can't really begrudge people for that. But I do think that in the, I don't know, if you're looking at the top 50, maybe top 100, not all of them, but I think there are some projects in there. Ethereum being, you know, super obvious. I think that there are some other blockchains being out there that will do something which I believe can sit happily alongside Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin is Bitcoin and Bitcoin's going to do what Bitcoin's going to do, but I don't think that that means that all of the other ones don't have any value or purpose. So what are your thoughts on that? Sure. Well, some things are more opinion and some things are more reality. Sure. So uh, the way you phrase your question uh, you asked it in the form of an opinion. Uh, mm -hmm. Do I think that other blockchains have useful world applications? Uh, the answer is maybe very few of them do. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Uh, and uh, I know the popular ones are like the Ethereum. 
Sure. Uh, does Ethereum have real-world app useful applications? Uh, to me, the answer is maybe it's debatable. I'll probably debate on the side that it doesn't, okay. then it does. Uh, but that's still opinion-based. What's not opinion-based that people are making opinion-based is the fact that Ethereum, to me, is not a decentralized project. Sure. For me, Ethereum is more like a corporation okay. with leaders and uh, shareholders and committees that a group of people can decide to do whatever they like. Sure. So did Ethereum open the world to something new? Yes, Ethereum allowed uh, other people to easily create scams on top of Ethereum, right? This is the, <laughs> the um, like, like Ethereum may have something there, but 98, 99% of everything that was ever built on Ethereum was basically built for somebody to get rich uh, on nothing, on mm. basically scamming other people. So is that valuable to the world? Maybe. Uh, but the other point is that if Ethereum continues to prove that what they're building is actually valuable to the world, it will be built on top of Bitcoin because Bitcoin is a more secure layer, right? Like if someone, uh, right now we have the internet. Like if someone was building something cool that required a whole other internet, someone else would eventually build it on top of the internet, right, mm -hmm. uh, itself. So like China kind of has their own internet. Like we don't really uh, interact. Like no one really orders from Alibaba, I don't think. Uh, but um, so the functionality of Ethereum does already exist on top of Bitcoin. It's not as robust. It's not as simple to use yet. Uh, okay. But it will be those things because the motivation for making Ethereum's functionality on Bitcoin is not, um, is not as strong, like that motivation to build it. Because building Ethereum's functionality on Bitcoin, first of all, doesn't make you as much money as building that functionality on top of Ethereum. Uh, because building it on top of Ethereum literally helps you pump Ethereum. Uh, building it on top of Bitcoin is more challenging. Uh, it's literally like a grass, it's another grassroots effort that isn't going to earn you much money. Yes. Uh, and also, uh, it's a challenge getting projects to move on top of the Bitcoin blockchain instead of on top of Ethereum for that other reason that I mentioned, because 99% of projects built on top of Ethereum are just blatant outright scams. Uh, now, sure, you could build your scam on top of Bitcoin, but by going to build it on top of Bitcoin, that means you have a better understanding of the blockchain and the crypto space, which in my opinion, makes you less likely to build a scam to sucker people in. So this is another reason why there are a lot less Ethereum-like projects built on top of Bitcoin, but eventually it's coming. Because I don't see how Ethereum can scale. And some of the smartest engineers have already said Ethereum can't scale. They've always said that. So there are lots of technological challenges with Ethereum. It's not as decentralized as Bitcoin. It's not as secure mm -hmm. as Bitcoin. So if Ethereum continues to prove to the world that the functionality they created is needed, it will be put on top of Bitcoin and not something else. So okay. eventually, those pro the, the projects that survive on top of Ethereum will move to Bitcoin. Uh, and uh, so, so those are the two things. Uh, one is the reality of the situation. 
and one is my opinion. It's the same thing with updating Bitcoin. Like the one of the, some of the biggest arguments that we have is people that created uh, Bitcoin competitors to money. So this is where it differs a little bit. Like Ethereum was built to be applications, but it could also be used as money. Mm -hmm. uh, Bitcoin was built as money, but it could also do those applications now that you know Ethereum had proven that they're needed. Uh, let me not. Hopefully, I don't get like quarter out of context for that one. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, but the other part is like the privacy coins. So everyone's like, oh, Bitcoin transactions aren't private. You got to use our privacy coins like Monero and like some of the others. So again, there was an opinion on whether true privacy is really, really needed. And I am on the side that, yes, true privacy, better privacy in Bitcoin would be nice. It would be a really nice to have. That's an opinion. The government would say, no, it's not nice. I would say, no, it's good. But then there's also the reality that you can't just force everyone in Bitcoin to have a change in the code. So there is the reality of the situation that, yes, unfortunately, Bitcoin can't have the kind of perfect privacy in its protocol because it, you can't force everyone to do something. So we have to work with what we have. So there's the reality and then there is, you know, an opinion. And uh, a lot of people ignore the reality part. And they want an opinion. It's just like, you know, it's like I'm sure we always had, uh, going back to the Facebook thing, where everyone's on Facebook and one or two guys are trying everyone to use a private alternative. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would be nice. It would be, it would have been nice if Facebook actually cared about people's privacy instead of literally the complete opposite. But it's a big challenge getting everyone to switch. Yeah. Uh, and it's a bigger challenge in Bitcoin because your life savings are involved. So good luck with that. And uh, I'm not going to be driving that bus of uh, being responsible for people losing their value by switching to something with a property that, yes, I understand that it's better, but the reality is no one's going to use it. That's interesting. I mean, that's interesting to me because that actually sounds like an argument for Ethereum, right? That, that sounds like, okay, let Bitcoin do what Bitcoin does. Let it be the so-called digital gold, a unit of account, etc. Um, and it does that incredibly well. But if people do want to build other projects, decentralized applications, etc., then perhaps another blockchain is what that should be built on. Um, I don't think oh. anything in terms of you, I, I totally agree with the, you know, Bitcoin's the only one that's obviously I know that there is a lot of the mining that happens in a certain pool in China, etc. But, you know, I know, understand Bitcoin's the best decentralized, uh, most decentralized crypto. Obviously, you got the Lindy effect with it being around the longest time. It's got the limited cap, et cetera. 100% on board with all of that. But with that said, I, I'm, I'm very much in the lane of like, okay, Bitcoin is Bitcoin and let it do what it does. And it's, it's going to be the best at that. And it already is. But then if blockchains have these other potential uses, outside of the world of scams, et cetera, and people trying to make a quick buck, then uh, if someone wants to build a decentralized platform, website, social media, et cetera, why build that on block? Why, sorry, why build that on Bitcoin? You know, use another platform, whether it's Ethereum or something else that comes out down the line that's being worked on that might end up being better than Ethereum, then why not have those two things? I, I don't really view them as competitors well, yeah, almost. Is the, yeah. But this is the beauty of Bitcoin's decentralization. 
is that there's no one that can control that, right? So uh, some people are looking at Ethereum and saying, yeah, you know what? You know, if Ethereum is going to capture all this value from people building their coins on top of it, maybe it's something that the world wants. And if it's the world wants, some of the smartest engineers will say, if the world wants it, We'll give it to them on Bitcoin so that they have an option. If they want to put it on Bitcoin, put it on Bitcoin, because that also helps Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. You know, if everyone all of a sudden migrates from using Ethereum to using Bitcoin because it's better, because those transactions are cheaper, faster, and more importantly, more secure, mm-hmm. uh, then people will migrate from Ethereum. Like you said, Ethereum will have competitors. But one of those competitors is Bitcoin itself. Okay. The reason why Bitcoin is so slow to adopt these changes is because the consequences of a screw up are much higher. Yes. Um, if Bitcoin, you know, stops functioning, the world's in trouble. If Ethereum stops functioning, nobody, honestly, like a few people will care, but uh, the world, uh, in my view, could potentially benefit. So, <laughs> it's, um, it, 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 so, that, so that's the thing, right? So it, it will be up to the people, but that functionality, Ethereum's functionality uh, is being built out as side chains to Bitcoin. So they kind of touch Bitcoin, but it's not exactly on top. It's like it's connected to Bitcoin, but it's its own kind of blockchain that's anchored into Bitcoin. So it doesn't have another money. Like that, here's the thing. Um, This world that Ethereum is creating, uh, plus DeFi, plus NFTs, it's basically a world where everyone has their money. Like right now, I I travel the world a lot and I have to deal with a hundred something currencies around the world as I go around. And uh, uh, like even when I'm in Dubai, quite often the Dubai currency is pegged to the dollar. So uh, why can't I just use the dollar, right? I still have to go to a shop and exchange uh, dollars for their currency. If I go use a credit card, there's still a foreign exchange fee that a lot of time the credit card will pay, but, you know, semantics. So same thing here. Like if you have like one thing is just better, people will eventually build on it. It's just very slow to get built out because the stakes are high. I hear that, man. Awesome, man. I want. I'm very. Uh, I'm conscious of the time, so I want to wrap this up soon. But where do you think Bitcoin is going to go in this current cycle? We've had quite a ride so far over the past. Wow. Well, when do we begin it? I don't know. Let's say the last the last year and a half in particular has been has been quite a ride. Where do you think where do you think we're going um, as a trader? Yeah, since that March crash where everything crashed when COVID first hit, uh, Bitcoin has been on a huge rise. So has the stock market, pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's because money is being devalued. So Bitcoin has gone up. Let's not use the crash. We'll say from a stableish price of five to seven thousand. Uh, we're now almost at 60. So I am looking for this bull market to continue at least another year. Okay. So I'm looking at the rest of this year and possibly most of next year. Uh, I do see a potential for a 40 to 50% correction in the middle of the bull run. We don't necessarily need one. In the 2013 bull market, we had two big exponential rises. And in between those, we had a very quick 60, 70% crash. Mm. In 2017, it was just up, up, up for a year and a half. And then we had that one slow crash of uh, 80, 90%. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I believe a crash like that is still coming. And the reason why I believe a crash like that is coming is because all of these altcoins are rising so quickly. And I know they're built on nothing. So it's the dot com all over again. We had that in 2017. Uh, in 2013, it was just Bitcoin that got away from itself. But in 2013, Bitcoin went up from $10 to 1000 yep. I mean, that's a huge percent gain. That's like going from 10000 to a million. So that's not going to happen this time around without okay. a catalyst. And there wasn't a huge catalyst back in 2013. So in 2017, the painful crash was because people were putting their money into nothing, basically, just like the dot-com bubble in 2000, where people are just buying it because it's a dot-com. Mm -hmm. We're seeing that again. So because of what I'm seeing in the old coin space, I am expecting a big crash. Now, how high do I think Bitcoin can get before we get that crash? Eventually, by the time this bull market is done, I think 150000 to a quarter million dollars per Bitcoin. Uh, so I think the big rise is coming. This may look silly, but that's only a 3x move from here. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bitcoin has a tendency to do that in a weekend up uh, <laughs> so Maybe not at these prices, but it has done it before. So that's basically my target for this bull market cycle. A uh, quarter million dollars of Bitcoin would be nice. Uh, then we'll have another year, year and a half drop back to maybe current levels of 50, 60. And then the next bull market cycle, governments will probably be buying in. And that's when it, it could be mass adoption. Like it could yes. be people just saying, screw the government. Uh, we're going to start using, instead of using government currencies, we'll start using uh, Bitcoin. But as we said, most of the show, people seem to do what the government does. So mm -hmm. maybe mass adoption of people won't come until many governments are going to start doing what the corporations are doing now. You know, like, uh, hey, you know, you may want to do what Tesla does. Uh, Elon Musk has done very successful projects even before he started Tesla. Uh, or he didn't actually start Tesla. He came in as a CEO of Tesla. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so you may want to, you may not want to listen to him on Doge because he's clearly just trolling you. But uh, <laughs> don't, don't listen to what he says. Look I at what that. he does. You know, it's uh, that, that's all I can say. So hopefully people will pre-run the government on this one. If not, eventually the government will do it. I hear that, man. And Tone, where can people find out more about you? Or do you have anything that you want listeners to check out? Um, sure. You guys can find me on YouTube as well. Uh, YouTube.com slash Tone Vase, T-O-N-E-V-A-Y-S. Uh, same thing with the website, ToneVase.com. Also have a couple of conferences if you are in that area. This one is in the U.S. It's called Unconfiscatable. I do one in Malta called Understanding Bitcoin. That one is more uh, for the technological side. I try to get a bunch of programmers in the room to teach people how to use their technology. Uh, and I'm still in that world of trading. Uh, so we have uh, the Financial Summit. Actually, if you Google the words Financial Summit, uh, you find my uh, link first. The first non-advertising link uh, is the Financial Summit event, uh, which is for traders, hedge funds. Uh, that's more an event for high net worth, professional traders, hedge funds. Uh, that one kind of travels the world, uh, nice exotic destinations. And uh, uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, subscribe, support. And uh, we have very similar political views, by the way, um, pretty much every day. <laughs> Uh, I love your Twitter. By the way, you were so ahead of the curve on that uh, deadlift world record <laughs> because uh, 
because that literally just happened, right? Yep, 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 man. I, I see things coming before they happen, man. I don't know when people are going to start paying attention to that. Tone, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Been so good to speak to you, bro. Oh, man, it was great. Uh, you got to come on my show one of these days. No doubt, man. Let me know. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.